Today's reading is taken from 1 Peter, uh, chapters 1, verses 13, uh, to chapter 2, verse 3. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hearts on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceits, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that, you, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thanks so much, Rob, for reading. And if you joined us since the start of the service, may I add my welcome to Claire's. Shall we pray as we begin? Heavenly Father, Thank you for this passage and the opportunity to look at it together now. Please speak to us through it by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Growth. It's something we're used to hearing about and talking about a lot in politics, whatever side of the political spectrum you find yourself on. Whether that is looking back to Liz Truss's famous growth, growth, growth speech from the autumn, Or if you're on the other side, um, Keir Starmer's promise to turn the UK into a growth superpower at Labour Party conference. But this is nothing new. Peter was also interested in growth, just not the economic kind. In his first letter, he is writing to the early church scattered throughout modern-day Turkey who were going through a really hard time. He opens the letter with a reminder of their future inheritance and hope which Claire spoke to us about last week. And in our passage this lunchtime, Peter is encouraging the early Christians that in light of their future hope, they don't just stay where they are, but instead live out their new resurrection life. The Christian life is not stationary, but involves constant growth. And there are two things in particular that Peter wants these early Christians to grow in. Holiness, and love. 
and we'll look at each of them in turn this lunchtime as we dive into our passage. So firstly, growing in holiness. Peter starts our passage by giving what feels a bit like a pep talk. He's giving these early Christians some inspiring words of encouragement to keep on going. He basically tells them to get their heads in the game in verse 13, where he says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. In other words, they are to get their minds in order. And literally, the Greek says, they are to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that's a bit of an odd phrase, so I googled the definition, and here is what I was given. To prepare oneself for something difficult or challenging. And then the dictionary website I was on gave a very apt example, when it said, members of parliament are girding their loins for an election campaign. which is something no doubt we're all going to have to think about at some point in the next couple of years. But this is a phrase which comes from the ancient world. It comes from the days where people wore long robes, and so if they wanted to go and do something quickly, they had to tuck those robes into their girdle or belt so that they wouldn't trip up when they were trying to act. And it's what God commanded the Israelites to do before their first Passover meal so that they could leave Egypt at once once they'd eaten it. In other words, Peter is urging his readers to be ready for the task ahead. And that task is to be holy. As Peter continues in verses 14 to 16, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Being holy means to be set apart, pure, dedicated to God. It's a concept our society doesn't much understand. But in the Bible, God's holiness is a big deal. The Old Testament is full of people who couldn't come into God's presence because of his holiness. It was so powerful that they would die if they got too close. God's holiness is a bit like the sun. It's life-giving but so powerful that you can't get too close without being incinerated. And here we have Peter encouraging Christians to be holy like that, to turn their back on evil and be holy as God is holy. And I don't know about you, but I find this immensely challenging. Because if we're honest, we're not naturally holy. We're marred by all the times we fail and mess up. God's holiness is perfect, and our feeble attempts to be like him so often end in failure. So we might be tempted to despair at this point, but Peter doesn't finish there. He continues in verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but through the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see, God knew that we wouldn't be able to be holy on our own. So the amazing news is that it's not down to us. We have been redeemed. Being redeemed means, means being brought back. It's almost like we were a dirty, cracked vase sitting in a junk shop. 
which God has bought back and is now in the process of restoring, of cleaning up and fixing the cracks. And we've not been bought with the riches of the world, silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as Peter says in verse 19, which is infinitely more precious than any silver or gold, and which, unlike silver or gold, is imperishable. It will never fail or lose its power. Peter then goes on to describe Jesus as a lamb without blemish or defect, which reminds us of the Passover lamb. The Israelites literally had to paint the blood of this lamb on their door frames so they would be protected from the final plague in Egypt. In other words, they were redeemed by the lamb's sacrifice. And in the same way, we have been redeemed by the sacrifice of the greater lamb, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross in our place so that we could be made holy. We have been bought back by, with his blood. And we can have absolute concrete hope that we have been redeemed. Because God raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him. And so, as in the words of verse 21, our faith and hope are in God. And going back full circle, because of this, we don't just stay where we are. Radical love like this should change us and spur us on to be holy. We've been brought back at such a price that we are now set apart. And so we aim to be holy in all that we do, verse 15, in response to this amazing love. Being holy means being set apart for God. It means seeking to follow Jesus in all areas of our life, surrendering everything to him. Living a resurrection life means growing in holiness, remembering that we have been redeemed. And this leads on to the other part of living a resurrection life growing in love. Peter uses an important word at the start of verse 22, now. What God has done for us and our future hope have a real implication on living in the present. So he writes, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Love is a much easier concept for us to grasp and one that society is more than happy to promote, whether that's in music saying that all you need is love or in film reminding us that love actually is all around. But this can be just as challenging as the call to being holy. Notice that Peter here is not talking about a superficial love, but rather a sincere love, deep, from the heart, a love like that demonstrated by God. It's easy to love people who are like us, who we see eye to eye with. It's a lot harder to love people who are different or those who rub us up the wrong way. And that very much includes our fellow Christians. I wonder, do we naturally want to love our fellow Christians who also happen to be our political opponents, whose policies we think are a terrible idea for our country? But loving sincerely means getting rid of all those things which Peter lists in chapter 2, verse 1. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Those things are the opposite of love. But it's so easy, isn't it, to get sucked into them, particularly, I think, in the world of politics. It can be so easy to twist the truth, to not live up to our ideals, 
to be envious of those who are in more prestigious positions than us, to speak badly of our opponents. So given the challenge, how on earth do we live out a truly, sincerely loving life? Peter again gives us some encouragement for this seemingly insurmountable task. He reminds us in verse 23 that we have been born again. We're living a new life. And what's more, we're born again of something imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Peter uses this quote from Isaiah chapter 40 to make the point that people can fail and fade like grass and flowers. If you spend any time in nature, you will know that nothing lasts. Flowers bloom and look very beautiful, but then they fade away. Grass can so easily become withered. And if you don't believe me, just go out onto Parliament Square and you can see that one for yourself. Compared to that, God's word is imperishable. It doesn't fade or die. It lasts and is as true today as it was when it was first written. And then Peter gives us another picture in verses 2 to 3, where he writes, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Babies need milk. Without it, they will not survive. And not only that, they need it to grow. I've always thought it's amazing just how quickly newborn babies put on weight just from drinking milk. But that's because it's just what they need to grow up strong and healthy. In a similar way, we too need to be fed, but not with milk, but with the eternal word of God. We are fed as we spend time in the Bible and in prayer, listening to what God has to say to us, being nourished and encouraged to keep on going in our Christian life. If we are Christian, we will have tasted that the Lord is good. And so we should yearn for time with him even more. It's just like when you taste an amazing dish and you just can't wait to eat it again and you find yourself fantasizing about it. When we spend time with God, we yearn for more. Sometimes we just need reminding of how good God is. Spending time learning from and getting to know the God who is love will inevitably make us grow more loving, more able to live out this resurrection life which we've been called to. And so Peter encourages us to grow in love for all those around us, but particularly our fellow Christians. And that means resisting all those bad things which Peter listed in verse 1. It means putting others before ourselves. It means thinking about how we treat others in a loving manner, no matter our political differences. It means not going along with the flow of those around us, but taking a stand in the way we speak and act when we need to. So as we finish, living a resurrection life is living a life of growth. It involves growing in both holiness and love. And the great news is, we're not left to do this on our own. As we seek to grow in holiness, we remember that we have been redeemed by Jesus' blood. We are holy because of him, not because of anything that we have done. And this amazing grace is open to anyone. So do chat to me, Claire or Mark, if you're new here and looking in and want to find out more. And as we seek to grow in love, we are fed by God's eternal word. 
We rely on him like newborn babies rely on their parents. This week, consider how you could grow in both of these. Through spending time in the Bible and in prayer, listening to what God is speaking to you, through reflecting on our past redemption and our future hope, by thinking practically about what it would look like to act in a more holy and loving way. Growth in our spiritual life is key. Our future hope has implications for us now. So let's not just tread water. Let's grow in holiness and love. But we don't do this in our own strength. So let's ask for God's help now to live this out. Shall we pray to close? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Peter's encouragement in this passage. Thank you that we have been redeemed by Jesus' blood. Help us to get our minds in gear, to grow in holiness and love. Thank you for feeding us by your word and help us to stay close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.